Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky soft and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW, plus free shipping on orders over $60. Today on the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast, it's time to dive into the single biggest story, I think, or at least the defining story of the NHL season, which is the Vancouver Canucks run-in with COVID and miraculous return from COVID-19. To do that, we have someone with a finger on the pulse of all things West Coast hockey. It's Irfan Gaffar. Irfan, how you doing, man? I'm well, well. Thanks for having me. Uh, no problem. So we were talking a bit before we started, but two wins over the Toronto Maple Leafs to start this impossible march towards the end of the season which is on the heels of the COVID-19 outbreak, which has affected players, coaches, staff members, and family members as well. So has there been a higher point in 2020-2021 for the Vancouver Canucks? Oh, wow. Um, Probably not. I just think with everything that, you know, this team has been through, and you mentioned it there, I think the biggest thing for a lot of these guys was, you know, just being scared that it affected their families. You know, Mm -hmm. and I think that, you know, you heard guys like Tanner Pearson, Brandon Sutter, um, Bo Horvat, you know, guys talk about their experiences with it, but them being worried for the safety of their families, for their children and stuff like that. So it really humanizes, you know, them in that aspect of it. But then when you hear Travis Green speak, you know, he physically looked like, you know, he he lost some weight and, Mm -hmm. and things like that. But, you know, he was probably one of the people that got hit hardest by COVID. And, you know, him saying that, you know, he was worried about his players, but then had to focus, you know, his shift on himself. So it was definitely a very scary situation here in Vancouver for a lot of the guys. But they got over it, they got through it, and there is nobody, I think, in the National Hockey League that gave the Vancouver Canucks a chance to win either of those two games against the Toronto Maple Leafs. And look at it now, and you know they're 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 two and zero against them right now. And because they're two and zero against them, suddenly the playoffs are not a <laughs> uh, are not really uh, an impossibility. And I want to get to all of it. I want to get to the long and the short of it. But I think we got to start with Sunday night, at least for the uh, Vancouver Canucks season as a whole. Uh, beating the Maple Leafs in overtime, that beleaguered group you said you talked about not being sure if they were ready and still feeling the effects, whether it was Travis Green showing the effects, but the players showing the effects like, a little bit in the first period as well because it didn't look like they were a group that was ready to go. But that turned into a special night with Bo Horvat scoring the, the overtime winning goal, Braden Holpe standing on his head to get them to that point. So where does that night rank in terms of special nights? since you have been dialed into the successes and the failures of the Vancouver Canucks? Well, I mean, I think with the whole COVID situation, everything that's been happening in the last couple of years, you know, you look at what they did in the bubble and what they were able to accomplish and come together in that. There were a lot of special moments there, obviously. 
you know, going uh, up against Vegas in game seven, obviously losing that game. You see the emergence of Patrick Demko as a number one goalie this season, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the season he's had. But in reality, man, like nothing really compares to what they had to go through for the 23 days or the 24 or five days it was before having to play against the Toronto Maple Leafs. And more than half the roster, you know, um, tested positive for COVID, coaching staff, members of the family, like I mentioned. So that has to be up there among one of the moments of this season where you look at that win and you go, wow, this team really rallied around each other. They really bought into what Travis Green was selling and they really, really wanted to go out and prove something. And it starts with their captain and Bo Horvat leading by example. You know, he was in on every single one of the goals in that game on Sunday night against the Toronto Maple Leafs. And you can just look at their celebration after, you know, it was one them against the world. Mm-hmm. And, and two, the fact that they were able to go out and do it against the best team in the North division when they were completely written off by absolutely everyone for that game. So I think that that's one of the things where you look at it and you go, if you go back on this season or, or, you know, even the whole COVID in the last couple of years, you go, okay, that game against the Toronto Maple Leafs on Sunday night is, is probably a chapter in itself. And it, uh, if you were writing a book, so what was your opinion going into Sunday's game? I mean, you've watched the players and yeah. Travis Green speak to the media. Uh, I guess every everyone sort of understood that they were being rushed back into something that maybe was, I don't want to say a dangerous situation, but not a situation that was ideal by any circumstances. So I guess what was your feeling? What was the feeling of the media members leading into Sunday's game? And did dread sort of seep into your thought process at all while uh, you know preparing to cover that game? Yeah, see, the thing for me was if they had played that Friday night against Edmonton and then again on that Saturday afternoon against Toronto, I think it would have been bad. Like, I think there would have been players that have gotten hurt. And I think that that was, you know, an overwhelming feeling amongst the group. And then you hear what JT Miller said. You know, you hear his comments kind of going back, kind of going to bat for his team and saying that, you know, he wasn't a guy that even had, you know, COVID. And he was a guy that's saying that I'm not ready to play. Imagine guys that, you know, were their symptoms were severe um as we heard you know i I know players of you know just having really really bad symptoms not being able to eat obviously we all know the losing the space or the taste and the smell and and losing weight not being able to work out and stuff and and i think that when you look at everything that kind of went into consideration having those extra couple of days it really really did help the team now i know people will say it's only a couple days what could it really have done there was an extra practice there was an extra morning skate um, and there's extra time for them to get their legs under them and actually go through um, the medical tests that they had to. They had to get their heart tested. Uh, they had to go through physicals, assault bikes, and, and and all sorts of difficult tests, like it was a mini training camp. So I think mm-hmm. that in that aspect of it, it helped them a little bit um, just to be able to kind of get their legs under them. But obviously, like we know, and then we've been covering the game for a very long time, you know, you can't emulate a game type situation. So that's why in that first period of that game, they kind of looked a little bit sluggish. And then in the second period, you kind of see them start warming up a little bit. And then obviously in the third and overtime, we all know what happened. And you can almost see the process of them getting their legs under them. So if they didn't have that ability to at least, you know, put the first building blocks in place, uh, I think the first period might have looked or the, the third period might have looked like the first period did and, and you know, so on and so forth. Uh, but you mentioned that it could be a chapter in a book. Um, yeah. And it feels like the sort of game, at least, that a locker room could build on you know, at least in the short term. I mean, they've got this impossible task ahead of them and at least they have something now that they can build on. But it seems like as a viewer that it's maybe something that could help them inform their thinking or decisions moving forward. So from a media or fan perspective, 
Should there be a major takeaway from that win, from that, you know, moment in time for the Vancouver Canucks? Did we learn something about anyone or anything on Sunday? Or am I building it up to be maybe a little bit more than it should be? No, I don't think you are because I think that in all reality, this was a pretty serious situation that the Canucks had to go through, you know, and, and I know that there are other teams that have had to go through it as well. You know, the Buffalo Sabres, New Jersey Devils, uh, Minnesota Wild, they've all had to go through all their types of, of, of issues and, and other teams in the league as well as, you know, battling this, this obviously uh, this, this terrible virus. But when you look at, and when you talk to players and obviously members of the coaching staff and, and kind of have a feel of what they actually were going through, and how scary it was for guys that had pregnant wives, like Brandon Sutter mentioned, or, you know, um, people saying that their children had, you know, got, gotten um, COVID. I, I think that that aspect of it, you kind of look at it and you say, okay, it's not just a professional athlete, they'll, they'll get over it because they're healthy. It's no, it's actually affecting them more on a human angle and a personal level. So I think you learn about them a little bit that way. Um, and I think for, for, for the rest of this team, yeah, I'm sure it's something that they can build on because nobody, there's nobody, I, I really strongly believe that, had the Canucks beating the Toronto Maple Leafs on Sunday night. And if you tell me you did, I, I, I want receipts. I, I, I really do. You got to show me them and tell me where you said that. Because, look, they, it was a couple of days of practice. Yes, it was extra, but you're coming up against a team that, you know, hadn't been playing its greatest, but you're getting Austin Matthews back. You're getting William Nylander back. You know, you're the number one team in the division and, and and you're probably a contender for the Stanley Cup. And you're coming up against a team that basically hasn't played hockey in almost a month. I mean, come on. So uh, it was a pretty good win for the Canucks. It's something that they're definitely going to build on. I definitely do know that. And and I and I, I think it's good for the league. I think that having that and having the Canucks do what they did at Toronto Maple Leafs the last couple of games is is a very good story, especially in a season where it's kind of been up and down. Uh, it's hard to do the hypothetical thing because we're still in the present here. Yeah. But but do you think the Canucks needed that win just to get through what's ahead? Like, did they prove to themselves on Sunday night that, okay, we're going to be okay here? Well, I think in that room, they don't give a you-know-what about what anyone says. And I think that that's one of Travis Green's kind of approaches to that team a little bit is, you know, forget about all the outside noise. It's us in the room. And that, 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 that's all it's really going to be. You know, you can listen to the Zoom calls. You can see the interviews. You can go on Twitter. You can read the newspapers. But at the end of the day, as cliche as it is, in those 60 minutes, it's just those guys in that room, right? So that's the message that Travis Green's been preaching to that team for quite some time. And they've bought in. They, they, they really have. And it all started even last year in the bubble. You know, the, there were moments that, you know, you thought that that team was going to get written off a little bit. And then going up against, you know, the St. Louis Blues, no chance the Canucks were going to beat them. No chance mm -hmm. against the Vegas Golden Knights. So they went to seven games. And, you know, if they would have beaten the Knights and they didn't have that back-to-back, -back, who knows what could have happened, right? So I kind of think that, when you look at that team, it really is us against the world type of mentality. And I think that's a good thing because they're such a young team that they're able to grow together. So from the lead up to the game, the game itself, and, and obviously the aftermath, I, I took two basic observations or takeaways uh, from, from what we saw, at least on Sunday night. Um, and the first one is that I think it's pretty clear that the Canucks have the right man behind the bench. I thought Travis Green's return press conference was incredible. I thought it showed this intense sense of belonging to the team, to the organization, to the players, real genuine ownership. And it is worth mentioning because uh, the owner of the Canucks had to come out and, you know, sort of vouch for the head coach at a point this season, which seems ludicrous to me. Yeah. So uh, did, did the sort of bond between uh, market and coach, coach and team, did that intensify, do you think, at least with, with 
you know, what we've seen over the last week in terms of Travis Green's uh, ownership of the Canucks, I guess. Yeah, it's crazy because he still doesn't have his extension. Travis Green's, yeah. called, Travis Green's a free agent in June, mm. right? So I think that, you know, uh, look, I, I can't see a situation where he isn't the head coach of the Vancouver Canucks for the, for the foreseeable future, but it's the National Hockey League and we've seen some crazier things. So I'm just going to leave it at that, right? So I, I do think that guys like playing for him. I do think that he goes out of his way to try and make his uh, players, especially the young ones, feel as comfortable as possible. But he's also got a good staff around him. I mean, Manny Malhotra, who was there last year, obviously now behind the bench with Sheldon Keefe from the Toronto Maple Leaf staff, yeah. was a guy that, you know, players in that locker room loved. And, you know, he's instrumental in helping Bo Horvat become the player that he is. Um, and now you look at guys like uh, Newell Brown, who's been in around the league for a very, very long time. Uh, guys like Nolan Baumgartner as well, Jason King, who have all had ties to this Vancouver Canucks organization in some way, shape or form. And I think that when you have that and you include a guy like Travis, who's from British Columbia and, you know, obviously, um, you know, has some ties here with the Vancouver Canucks organization coaching in Utica. I think that that, you know, it, it goes without showing that there really is nobody that knows this team right now in their current state than him. And, and mm -hmm. I really do believe that an extension um, I'm actually quite surprised that it, it, it hasn't happened yet, but I do understand the financial implications of it and, and where we are in, in, in a global pandemic and things like that. But um, if this last couple of weeks and these two games against the Leafs have taught us anything, it's those guys are listening to whatever, or those guys are buying whatever Travis Green is selling. Yeah, and I think the other thing for you know JT Miller deserves a ton of credit and well, his calls from compassion. Uh, you know he bought them those forty eight hours, which you believe are so crucial. Uh, but Bo Horvat, the same as Travis Green in terms of like what he showed. I mean, obviously the scoring goals and having the knack for those big moments is is uh, you know something that you can you can take from those game or for the game. But the leadership quality is on full display as well. So when I think about what I learned from this game. It's or, it, you know, forming my opinions on this club moving forward. Those are the two big ones for me. It's clear who the major voices are or should be for this team and in place for the future. It's Travis Green as head coach and it's Bo Horvat being the captain uh, for the Vancouver Canucks. And obviously that's not going to change anytime soon, uh, but it's just sort of solidified the importance of Bo to me. Yeah. And, you know, the funny thing is you mentioned JT Miller there and what he was able to do. He said what a lot of guys in that room felt. And I think that when the Canucks traded for JT Miller a couple of years ago at the draft, there were a lot of people that didn't like that trade. Mm -hmm. They gave up too much. You know, what type of player was JT Miller? He was going to be on his third team. He's such a young player. Um, what's up with JT Miller? Kind of what's wrong with him? And he's a leader in that room. When JT Miller talks, a lot of guys in that room listen. And I think that that's one of the things that they brought him into uh, into be, especially knowing the young guys that they had on that team and to be able to grow with them. I think a lot of people don't remember that on team North America, the world cup of hockey, JT Miller was on that team. Mm -hmm. So he's not, you know, a slouch of a hockey player. He was obviously on that team for a reason as well. And for him to come in here and kind of do what he did, especially last season and then heading into the bubble and now being a leader and a very vocal leader and speaking up and going to bat for his teammates. I think that goes a long way as well. So we've been focused mainly on Sunday night, but the adrenaline didn't wear off Tuesday like many expected it would, and the Vancouver Canucks beat the Toronto Maple Leafs again. So that boosted their odds to make the playoffs to, I believe, 25% if you go by uh, certain analytical metrics. So should we stop talking about just simply surviving the schedule and talk, start talking at least about the Canucks conquering the schedule? 
Well, I mean, they'll say it. We got to take it one game at a time, right? But it's so hard for us to not go and look and say, okay, if they do this, if Montreal loses this, if the Flames do that, you're saying there's a chance, right? So (laughs) I'm kind of looking at this schedule and saying, okay, you've got four against the Senators right now. You take care of business and get six of a possible eight points. Not, not, you put yourself in a good situation here. You also hope that the Flames do a little bit better. So when they go down the road, the Canucks play the Flames to end the season. Their final three games are against the Calgary Flames. You just want them, and they just want to be playing meaningful games when in crunch time. So right now, they, they have a decent shot. It's take care of business. And, you know, every other day is basically a day, day off now um, for the team, especially when they're not playing. The practice days are going to be very few and far between. They're going to have some back-to-backs. And look, I'm not saying the Canucks are going to run the table here and, and go on an, an unbelievable streak and win, you know, 18 games or 17 games in a row because it's just not it's not possible. It's just not right. going to happen. I, I can't see it. But they can put themselves in a pretty good situation, right? You got Braden Holtby, a guy that people thought that at one point this season has lost his job and kind of didn't find his way a little bit and lost the crease to Thatcher Demko. Thatcher Demko is a fantastic goalie, but what you got out of, Bra- uh, out of uh, or uh, sorry, out of Braden Holtby mm-hmm the last two games was kind of vintage you know he he made some saves he stood on his head um and look i'm not discrediting the way the leafs played uh riddick was not good um on 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 tuesday (laughs) night so i think that there's definitely that aspect of it as well right but you have to give credit where credit is due you know tyler myers has played a lot of minutes um in the last couple of games alex edler the suspension he wasn't even in the lineup and then you get a guy like nate schmidt back who plays well so you know, they're getting contributions from everyone. And I think that that's, you know, one of the important things when you look at this team. And in reality, they're doing it without their best player. And that's Elias Pettersson. I'm glad you mentioned Riddick as a quick aside. Uh, I'm sure you heard it. But did you hear John Garrett howling on the broadcast after that Tanner Pearson goal? And uh, did you enjoy it as much as I did? Oh, man, it was funny. It's, <laughs> that, 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 that's Cheech being Cheech. And, you know, it was one of those things where, I mean, but like at some point, you know, down the road, the Leafs are going to look at that and Riddick's going to look at it himself and he's probably laughing and say, how did that puck go past me and end up in the net? That's as bad as a hockey goal I've seen in a long, <laughs> long time. Uh, truly yeah. unbelievable. Uh, you hit the nail on the head um, in the previous question saying that at least these games are meaningful. And, yeah. you know, these two wins and the fact that Calgary and and uh, Montreal just haven't been good or haven't been able to take their opportunity here uh, has made these games meaningful. Um, so I can't imagine that's not a good thing because, you know, this is a crushed can schedule that they have to deal with. It's not going to be very fun at times, but at least these games aren't going to be purposeless. And I feel like that's going to be at least a carrot that can help this team uh, navigate the next month. Yeah, and I think that that's the biggest thing, right? You, you, you're you not going to have guys that, you know, they're 10 points out of a playoff spot with, 12 games to go or whatever and teams are just climbing above them and mailing it in right you're gonna have guys that are gonna go there and want to compete now you know as much as we say it and they're gonna say it, it's one day at a time it's hard for people not to look at it it's hard for guys in the room not to go on and watch you know um, both sports networks and, and and listen to things and go on twitter and instagram and and have you know all these people show the breakdown of if the canucks do this and if teams do that there is a chance for them to possibly do this. They're going to go and try and take care of business one game at a time, as they've been doing for, for quite some time. And, you know, hopefully they're able to go on a run. It's going to take good goaltending. It's going to take good defense in, in, in front of their goaltending. And it's going to take, you know, guys um, 
they're the role player guys to be able to contribute. You know, you're going to get Brock Besser goals. You're going to get JT Miller goals. You're going to get Bo Horvat and, and Tanner Pearson scoring, but it's going to get to a point where you're going to need a guy like Jimmy VC to score a goal or Travis Boyd or Jake Vertanen or guys on their bottom six to be able to contribute. Right. So I think if they do make the playoffs, it's going to be a full team buy-in or if they do have put themselves in a position to make the playoffs, it's got to be a full team buy-in. And I think they're there. I think that everything that they've gone through, over the last couple of weeks has really, really brought this team close together. And, and it's fun to watch. I mean, you, you talk to people that are in the organization right now and say, okay, you know, we've got ourselves a, 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 we've given ourselves a decent opportunity and really guys are just rallying around each other. Uh, it, it is pretty remarkable how this has turned from a negative story, like something that's really yeah. pretty dark. Uh, and it's now become this positive story for the most part. And your positivity, you know, kind of shines through. I mean, you haven't been beaten down by that Vancouver media market. So I'm, I'm glad to see that. Um, but it has been sort of this 48 hour reprieve. But one thing that does at least bother me a little bit is the conversation around Adam Gaudet and the debate about him being traded because maybe he was patient zero. Um, can you clear anything up? Like what were the circumstances around that trade? Uh, and maybe, you know, clear things up for those who may be assuming the worst. Um, well, I think if you look at Adam Goddard's games played over the last couple of seasons, I think it's, you know, it's, it's very inconsistent. I think mm -hmm. that, you know, he was a player that didn't really find himself, uh, actual spot as an everyday NHLer here in Travis Green's lineup. And, you know, Travis demands you play on both sides of the puck. And, and, and if you're a guy that he can't trust, he'll, he'll, he'll scratch you. And I think that right. that's one of the things where, you know, you, you learn very quickly as a hockey player. And I think that, you know, a lot of people are going to make a lot of what happened with Adam Gaudet and, and, you know, being traded because he was patient zero. He obviously was not traded because of that. Right. I do know that, you know, there are guys that might, have you know been a little bit upset as to you know the way things kind of went down with um how the 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 co the, the coronavirus or covid was spread between the locker room and look i, I i'm not saying it's anyone's fault it, it's 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 a virus it's it spread but um there were guys that you know maybe kind of were rubbed a little bit the wrong way as to how kind of things escalated and what had happened right so I think that, you know, Adam Gaudet got traded because he wasn't a fit here in Vancouver. That's first and foremost. I, I don't believe that Adam Gaudet was traded because, you know, he was patient zero. I just can't see that a situation as to as to why it, it happened. Um, he wasn't playing. He's at the age right now that he should be an everyday NHL player. Right. Um, if you don't know what type of player you are at the age of 24, 25, 26, it's going to be very, very hard for you to find a spot on the team in the National Hockey League. And a change of scenery was needed. I, I really do believe that. And the Canucks were able to, to make that work and obviously send him to Chicago. And, you know, he got an assist in his first game that, that, that he played there. So obviously things are kind of working out well for them. And, you know, I, I think that it was best for both parties to finally, you know, just, just move on, but where there's smoke, there was fire. Right. So Adam mm -hmm. Gonnett's game has been, had been brought up in trade rumors for quite some time. This isn't something that was that, that that was a new development because of, you know, the whole COVID situation or, or anything like that. You know, he was linked to the Nashville Predators. He was linked to the, his hometown Boston Bruins for a while. And then all of a sudden, you know, at the trade deadline, he gets traded to the Chicago Blackhawks. And I think that that's kind of how it all happened and, and, and how it went down. But, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that Adam Gaudet was was traded because he was patient zero. But I do believe that, you know, there were guys in that room that that were kind of upset as to kind of how it all went down. Maybe just further evidence that it was it was time to make that move. Um, yeah. Okay, so these two wins, 
I mentioned sort of the Vancouver market and how you can almost feel the heat over here in Toronto because it's been such a high, uh, highly emotional and intense year. But have these two wins helped put things in perspective a little bit? Um, Like, you know, 20 plus players dealing with the virus, multiple members of the coaching staff, all these getting sick, all these people getting sick. And yet this moment comes out of it. Has it allowed people to sort of settle down and, you know, set down their tortures and pitchforks a little bit? Oh, absolutely not. Uh, (laughs) I think that the Vancouver market, uh, whether it's media, fans, people just kind of on Twitter and and, and things like that, I don't think the pitchforks will ever be put away. In fact, I think that people are getting ready to put more gas on the fire right now. And they've they've won two games against the best team in the division, right? (laughs) So I think, look, it's fun. Um, I think that people take things way too seriously sometimes. and, And, you know, hockey's a game and it's entertainment and, and it's supposed to be fun. And, and, you know, um, there are people that, you know, have their livelihood because of it, you know, people like you and I, and, and obviously things like that, but this market's fun when it's at its, when it's at its peak, to be completely honest. And I know that people, you know, anywhere East of Vancouver absolutely loves watching it burn when it does, because when it comes <laughs> down, it comes down hot. It really does. So I think that when you look at what's going to happen here over the course of the next few weeks and, and, and month really to end this season, um, fans should have a reason to get excited. You beat the Toronto Maple Leafs when there was nobody that gave your chance to win or your team a chance to win. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think you get excited about that and that aspect of it. Now you're going up against an Ottawa team where you probably should be. And then you put yourself in a situation where things can get pretty exciting. So if anything, it's really hard not to look so far ahead when you look at the math and say, okay, can this team do, can this team do it? And then when you have people come out and say that, okay, we're not ruling out Elias Pettersson coming back at some point this season, I think that that adds more fuel to the fire, right? So if you get him back in any way, shape, or form, it's okay. We have our best player coming back into the lineup, and we're in the middle of what could possibly be a playoff race. That that that's another you know added added uh, motivation, motivational factor here in Vancouver. So no, do I think the fans are going to calm down? Absolutely not. Is it fun to beat the Toronto Maple Leafs if you're a fan of the Vancouver Canucks? Absolutely. Right. Yeah, I just sure. think that that's, it's, it's just never not been like that. You know, obviously Canucks fans feel disrespected because of the whole four o'clock start, you know, every time, <laughs> every time the Vancouver, every time the Leafs play here on a regular season. So yeah. um, it's fun to see. I mean, Twitter's fun anyways. We all love it and stuff like that, but um, the market's not going to slow down at all. I'll tell you that much. Even last night was six o'clock, I believe, local time. Yes. Oh, yeah. Just to cater a little bit, one one extra hour of sleep for uh, those on the East Coast. Um, yeah. So we could, I think, if you look at the last month, this has sort of been the second part of the Canucks season. So there's a whole other story that encompasses the first part of the season. So you know that didn't go too well. There were a lot of issues, a lot of things happened, uh, and just the Canucks season maybe did go as expected for some, but certainly didn't. It wasn't a good second act or a follow-up to what happened in the bubble uh, with them giving Vegas such a good run and, and advancing as far as they did. So can you distill into one word or a few words what the description of the season was until we reached early March uh, and the conversation around the team? And if you need to curse in order to be succinct, it's all good. <laughs> oh, man, I don't know. I think um, oh, I, I think I tough was probably one of them it's an easy mm-hmm. one i mean they had a shitty schedule to start the year to be completely <laughs> honest uh and then look at when the return to play schedule came out for their covid after after their covid it's like okay six back-to-backs 
you're starting against a back-to-back against McDavid and Matthews in a less than 24-hour window, right? They were supposed to play that game at 7 o'clock on the Friday night and then at 4 or 5 o'clock on the Saturday night local after not having played for that, that many times. So if you're a Canuck fan and, and, and people that um, follow this team and, and if you're on the team, you felt a little bit disrespected, right? Because you look at kind of the, the way the season has started for the Vancouver Canucks, they traveled the most and they, and they always have. And I know you never want to use an excuse and, and, mm-hmm. and you really don't, but this was a big one to be completely honest. Injuries didn't help them at all. They didn't get good play from Braden Holpe. Thatcher Demko wasn't good until about March. And then he went on that crazy run where, you know, he won, I think like seven out of nine of 11 or seven to nine games or something like that, where he went on a really, really good run. And then he signed a five or $25 million contract seemingly a couple of days later, and then everything just stopped. Right. So yeah. I think that, you know, when you look at this Canucks season as a whole, I think it was just, it's, it's just kind of been bizarre, just everything that kind of went down and, and things that have happened and, and, you know, situations that have gone on and, Right now, um, it's going to be grueling. I, I, I really do believe that. You thought the schedule was tough before it came out. It, it's still going to be that same thing. And, and they're going to have to grind. They're going to have to grind out wins. They grinded out two wins against the Toronto Maple Leafs. You know, those weren't easy games for, the, for that team to play. You know, I, I definitely do think that, you know, not having practices in between games right now is key just to have guys to be able to not have to do anything. Don't skate get your rest, you know, get your body back in back, back into game shape because right now, you know, they're running on adrenaline. Eventually that adrenaline is going to wear off a little bit and you might see the Canucks go on a situation where, you know, they drop a couple games because it's at the point now where, you know, the, the novelty of coming back and then being excited is worn off and you kind of get back in that situation where it's like, okay, now we're literally playing games every other night. So the circumstances around this season have been bizarre, but the expectations were for many that the Canucks would take a step back. So it seems like they've just fulfilled the expectations, haven't they? A little bit? Yeah, look, I agree. When you look at this team on paper heading into this season after everyone they lost, I'm not going to name the names because it's just annoying. And I know people from Vancouver are going to rip me for reminding them about it. But yeah. when you look at it and you look at all the players that they lost and that team on paper, they they probably shouldn't have made the playoffs this season. They're, 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 they're probably not as good of a team as, as they were last year in the bubble. And factually, that's correct because you lose, you lose guys that were Vesna candidates. You lose guys that are going on and putting up ridiculous numbers right now with, with, with new teams teams and and playing well right so I think that when you look at this Vancouver Canucks team right now uh, after everything they've been through they kind of are at that point where you know they're they're kind of where we thought they would be right you lose a bunch of games but then you have these glimpses like I mentioned you know Thatcher Demko going on a run and and you you get guys like Bo Horvat playing really well and and JT Miller and and Brock Besser having the season that 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 he's having we haven't even talked about that yet right Mm -hmm. so I think that there's definitely a lot of motivation for these guys to want to go out and play well. But as a team as a whole, if you had asked me before the season, if they were going to make the playoffs, I would have said, nope. That's, and that's important to remember, I guess. But as you mentioned, like it's, you know, you get two wins out of the Maple Leafs and it's intense again. And I understand that. Um, but I, I get, it was always about looking forward. So looking yeah. forward, Sutter and Edler off the books. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Uh, next, for next season, Hughes and Pedersen, they still have to sign. So aside from brokering those deals with those two, which won't be any small task, but what should the mandate be for Jim Benning and company this summer? Like, what do the Canucks have to do to make it so that this step back and we, you know, it might not be a step back in the end. They could go on a run here. But if if what happens, what is expected to happen happens and the, and the Vancouver Canucks don't make the playoffs, what do they need to do to ensure that that's just a one-off uh, looking forward this summer? Well, I think that, you know, you hope you get some of your young players that are able to come in and, and you know, provide that offense and 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 that depth and everything. You know, you we saw what Nils Hoaglander has, has been able to do this season. And, you know, for a guy that no one really knew too much of, and, and you know, we've seen the Michigan that, you know, this thing that he did and stuff like that and, and all that cool fancy stuff. And and he, he, he came in and he impressed the coaching staff. And there's a reason why he's an everyday NHLer because he works his tail off at both ends of the ice every single night. Now, the Russian that the Russian kid that uh, that they drafted a couple of years ago, Vasily Podkolskin, you know, he's going to come in next season and push for a spot, you know, on this team. And and I definitely do think that 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 he'll be able to crack the lineup. But you mentioned those two players, man, Quinn Hughes and and, and Elias Pedersen. I've said before, and I'm going to say it again: this team is going to go as far as those two take them. And those are two big contracts that are going to be coming. And I think that they're going to be bridge deals, to be completely honest, um, for, for the both of them, be. obviously. Yeah, they have to be, right? So yeah. I, I think that when, uh, that when you look at it, you know, like I said, you know, this team is going to go as far as those who take them. But it's surrounding them with players at value that are able to contribute. You can't go into next season and overspend on fourth-line guys anymore. You, you, you just can't. you got to find guys – their values. You have to be on the lookout for more Tyler Mott's of the world, right? You have to be on the lookout for guys that are able on value to be able to contribute night in and night out. And I think that, you know, they believe that they have that in their depth in, in their system with guys like Cole Lind and, 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 and other players that are able to come in. So you can't go out and spend stupid money. That's the one thing you can't do. And I think that Jim Benning knows that, you know, he's gone, he's been at the job for seven years, right? It's year eight. Now, if you don't know it now, when are you going to know it? Yeah. Right. So I, I think it's not spending stupid money. And I think it's, you know, hoping you have players that are able to come in here and, and develop under Travis Green or whoever the coach may be next season. So aside, for the co- aside from the COVID comeback, um, wh- what would be the biggest positive or the biggest thing that would signal that good, good things are about to happen? I mean, you mentioned Hoaglander, you mentioned Besser, but has there been a story? Has there been an emergence, a single positive from the Canucks season that you believe will help shape the future? Uh, I mean, Demko kind of yeah. showing that, you know, he's become, he is a number one goalie in the National Hockey League and being able, him for his teammates to be able to, you know, um, count on him night in and night out to maybe steal a couple games and and, and be that guy. I think that's probably one of them. Um, you look at the way that Bo Horvat has handled things this season and the way that he's played, you know, he leads by example. He said it before, he's not a guy that's very vocal in the locker room and things like that. Um, but he's going out and proving it every day on the ice. And, and I think the one, you know, it's, it's Brock Besser. 
how many people wanted Brock Besser traded? There was a lot of people in this market that were trading Brock Besser for Matt Dumba. And, mm -hmm. you know, there was, it was funny. And, you know, I just think that the way that he was able to go about his offseason very quietly at his home and come back and have the season and have the velocity in his shot. And, and, you know, he's throwing his body around a little bit. That's things that we haven't seen from Bach Bester in the past. And to be able to have the year that he's been having, I think it's, um, it's, it, it proves that, you know, he's a guy that, you know, wants to be a part of the solution here in Vancouver for years to come. Where does the Tanner Pearson extension land on the spectrum of, you know, shrewd move and paying too much money for depth pieces? I mean, overall, the entirety of the contract, he's making less money on average mm -hmm. so than, than he's making right now. So I think that, you know, Tanner Pearson was probably going to get that much somewhere. And I think that the Canucks weren't able to find a trade partner for him. And I really do believe that when Jim Benning said that, or when he came out and said that we want to extend him, it's because Tanner Pearson really, really wanted to stay. Now, look, they, they finally found a line mate for Bo Horvat. And I think that that's an important thing as well, is that Tanner Pearson is very important to Bo Horvat. And I, I really, truly do believe that. It, it all starts with the, with the day that they acquired Tanner Pearson. You know, he went on a run where he had, I think it was like eight straight games with a point uh, when, when playing with Bo Horvat. So I think that there is that and having a guy that you know you can count on night in and night out. And he's experienced, look, I, Jim Benning has said it. He's a guy that's good in the room. He's won Stanley Cups and, and all that kind of things. But I think he likes it here. I, I really do. I think his family likes it here. And, and I think that the Canucks are, are better for having him. Now, there are a lot of people that are going to look at that contract and say, well, why couldn't you sign to Foley? It was basically the same thing. Mm -hmm. I just think that there was a lot that went down that we don't know last offseason when it came to spending money for this team and, and what they spent money on. And if you look at it, it was they took care of their own and they went and got a goalie. And that was basically it. Is there a big concern on the expansion front for this team or, or will they be able to sort of skate by that without any trouble? I don't think so. I, I don't think it's too much of an issue right now. I think that when you look at, you know, their roster of guys that they're probably going to protect or that they don't need to protect, I think they're okay. Um, I don't think that, you know, the Seattle Kraken are, are going to take a Jake Bertanen at $3.8 million next year as cash that he's owed, right? It's just, it's a lot of money. And I think that there's a lot of teams around the National Hockey League that you look at it, not just the Vancouver Canucks, that are going to have to leave very, very good players unprotected. Now, are the Seattle Kraken going to be, you know, as um, clever as you know the Vegas Golden Knights were in some of the moves that that they were that they were able to do to construct their team? Probably, you know, Ron Francis has has his work cut out for him there, um, down just down the road. But I think that being competitive for Seattle and you know. Obviously, they're going to want to take a player that has some pretty, pretty good ties here in Vancouver just to kind of build that up a little <laughs> bit, right? Um, yeah. So I, I think you definitely have to build that rivalry from within somehow, some way. So I think that there's going to be an interesting part of that as well. But look, let me tell you right now, if the Canucks don't get Travis Green locked up to a contract extension, can you imagine the bull over in this market if he's the head coach of the mm. Seattle Kraken next season? when they play their first game against the Vancouver Canucks to welcome the 21-22 season. I like that you mentioned the rivalry piece because I think it's in the Kraken's best interest to really push for this rivalry with oh, Vancouver. 100%. But if I'm in Vancouver, do I do I really, you know, uh, set or do I really put the rivalry tag on this? Like, do I care about the Kraken if I'm a Vancouver Canucks fan? Like, will that rivalry need to be contrived for, for the Canucks market or... You think it will be real and the Canucks will actually, uh, you know, 
they'll see the Kraken as an exact yeah. a, a real legitimate rivalry. Yeah, right. I think rivalries are built in the playoffs. The Chicago yeah. Blackhawks, you know, the Canucks in the old um, in the olden days, the Minnesota Wild, the the Colorado Avalanche, all those teams that they have played so many years, and obviously your Canadian rivals in Calgary and Edmonton and things like that. But this is for the first time a, a geographical rival, right? They're an hour and a half down the road. It's 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 not too far away. But it was funny because I remember being in Seattle the day that the the franchise was awarded, um, covering it, and. I interviewed their mayor at the time and right at the end of the interview we did, we said, all right, well, we're going to beat those Canucks this time. That's at this many times at that point in the season. So you can tell Seattle's trying because they have yeah. to. And if I'm the national hockey league, the Seattle Kraken are playing the Vancouver Canucks the first night. And then they're coming back here to Vancouver and they're playing again the, the next night. That's how you kind of build it in that way. Right. You got to have to, you got to have to contrive it in its, in, in itself. And you kind of got to make it happen. But if I'm a Canuck player right now, I really don't care that the no. Seattle franchise is getting a hockey team or, or people in Seattle are. Yeah, I don't think the Vancouver market will care until, you know, maybe they beat them on opening night or the back-to-back. Yeah. I, it's interesting that you said that um, for the scheduling purposes because I remember when Vegas came in, I, I was like, yeah, they should be playing Los Angeles in Vegas. And I think they yeah. started they started in Dallas, which didn't make yeah. uh, much sense to me. Um, last, last couple questions for you before I let you go. I, I'm just curious... The media seems to have a different role in Vancouver than it does in other markets. It almost seems like it's a three-headed monster constantly butting heads with the team, the media, and the fans always clashing. Is that an accurate description? Uh, three-headed monster might be, right? I think that <laughs> Kevin Bieksa kind of said it right when he said that there's an entitlement factor with some of the media here in Vancouver. And look, I think that we're all guilty of it because the NHL does allow us to have the access that it does, right? I mean, if you're not getting a player that has practiced, you know, you legitimately, to be able to speak, you legitimately have an argument about it. But I think right, right now and everything that we're going through, it's a little bit different, right? Because you're, you're, you're in a whole new world. It, it's Zoom calls. Sometimes your questions aren't going to get asked. You're going to put your hand up in queue and it might be there for three days before it gets answered, right? So. Right. I think that there's that part of it, but um, yeah, for a very long time, media here has, has been very, very different. Like I've covered this team and I've worked alongside some really, really good people who have, who have taught me a lot of things that, that I do know. And it's one of those things. It's, it's the media here. It's, it's different. And I don't really know how to explain it. The three headed monster might kind of be right, but it's not so much the battle. I think it's, Everyone kind of wants to have each other's best interests. Mm -hmm. The players don't care, to be completely honest. Like the players, like they, they'll do an interview, they'll, they'll do an interview. Yeah. And then at some point it's just like, okay, whatever. We know this is part of our job. It's the, it's the team kind of protecting its players. And then it's the media saying, why can't we have what we actually are allowed to have? And I think that that's the biggest thing, right? And I think that when you go to certain cities like Toronto, like Montreal, you know, and, and, and big markets in the States, you kind of get that access because it is so well demanded. And, mm. and I think that, you know, the coverage of those teams on a, are on much, much on a larger scale, right? Vancouver's the ugly stepchild, to be completely honest, right? To, uh, to the Toronto Maple Leafs. And, and I think that there, you, you do get that sense of feeling disrespect a little bit if you're a member of the media or if you're a player or, or someone in that organization. So 
has a lot of built up energy. It's a lot of pent up frustration. People are pissed off all the time. I have no reason why it's 25 degrees and sunny outside. Like go for a walk to be completely honest. Right. Yeah. So I think that there's just a lot of people complain about absolutely nothing for no reason. And then there's sometimes where they complain and you do legitimately have an excuse. That's interesting because in comparing to Toronto, because I covered the Maple Leafs for a couple of years and being in the dressing room, and it's not like this open door policy where it's like free flowing and you no. can talk to anyone anytime. Like there are very strict rules and they are very strict with how they al- allow you to talk to players. So uh, I-, I do find it interesting that it seems to be such, you know, th- it seems to be a little bit of warfare out there for whatever reason, but I guess uh, we're both trying to wrap our heads around it. I guess you don't have a hot take then on the media ban before uh, uh, practice uh, leading up to the, uh, the Canucks return. Oh man, like look, I, I whatever. I'm gonna see them in morning skating and see them in the game, anyways. Like mm-hmm. to be completely honest, like I, look, I get it. I, I understand the argument, and I understand that there are a lot of people that you know pay rights and and and, and pay money and want to cover this team and be able to have the access every single day as they should, as it's written in the rules and things like that. But I don't know. I. I I don't really, I'm not too, like, it doesn't really bother me that much that the Canucks canceled a couple practices. Like, it, yeah. like that, that to me is like, okay, imagine covering the NFL or European soccer yeah. or, or, or any of those sports. Like, we're lucky to get what we get as members of the media when covering a National Hockey League team, right? Baseball players, I've covered spring training. You don't get much access there, right? Mm-hmm. NBA, okay, not that much there either. So for what we get as members of the media, when it comes to hockey, I get the sense of entitlement, but sometimes people just need to like take a step back and say, okay, you know what? I can live another couple of days without having to watch a Canucks practice. I guess that's your hot take that you'll get the lines when you get the lines. Um, yeah. Okay. Last one for you. Leaf fans are a little angry because Alexander Edler stuck out his knee at the end of a long shift. So Talk, talk Lee fans off the ledge a little bit. He, you know, was he, he's not that type of player, I understand. So do they have any reason to actually have any uh, disdain for Alexander Edler for hurting Zach Hyman? Well, I mean, the disdain is going to happen no matter what I say. <laughs> right? I'm going to talk about off the ledge. Look, Alex Edler's not a dirty player. I, yeah. I, I don't believe that he is. I believe that he was at the end of a very, very long shift and he was trying to make a play and hit a guy and the guy steps out of the way. And look, I've never experience someone coming at me full speed in the, in the national hockey league like you know alexander and zach hyman were already on a collision hyman sees him gets out of the way right. heather tries to get himself out of the way as well look i see why leafs fans are pissed because you lose one of your best players for 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 a couple of weeks and you know alex edler's a guy that's played in the national hockey league for quite some time and they're going to go back and pull up the videos from when he was suspended playing at the international level of um and and things like that and and mm-hmm. go on that but i definitely do know that alex heather's not not a dirty player and you know he even said it you know i was just trying to make a play and you know i'm not trying to hit a guy and at the end of a long shift trying to make a play and then things happen really fast i just kind of think that you know it's one of those things where you know it happened i think if he really really wanted to hit him he would have went out of his way and it could have been a lot worse Irfan, this was a lot of fun. Uh, let the yeah. listeners know what you're up to, uh, where they can find you and follow your work. Uh, a little opportunity for you to, you know, tell everyone yeah. what you're up to. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, I'm just uh, with my man, David Panyota on the fourth period, uh, just doing some fun stuff. Obviously, we do some video content um, there weekly. Um, Aaron Ward's also one of our one of our analysts, which is super cool and fun. So just been doing stuff like that. Um, hopefully get to travel and, and, and see kind of where we are here in the next little bit for playoffs and and cover that cup final again and, and see kind of where it goes. But yeah, you know, on Twitter at Earth Before, and uh, that's about it. So yeah, cheer me if you want. I'll probably say something <laughs> back. So it'll be fun. 
Awesome, man. Uh, really appreciate you coming on. And maybe when the playoffs roll around, we can do this again sometime. Absolutely. Let's do it. Thanks for having me. Great, man. That was awesome. Appreciate it. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 